Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, James, we are back with another edition, a long-awaited edition of the Leaf Report podcast. You were away, I was away, I was sick, you were sick. Like, it's just been a grind. Um, so the podcast is brought to you by The Athletic. Uh, we are brought to you by Bab Sox and the Saki Hall of Fame. Uh, playoffs are almost here, so we're going to save playoff talk until next week. We're going to do a whole like playoff preview, so we will kind of stay away from that stuff. Not entirely, but where do you want to start? Like, What's on your mind about the team right now? So they, I think they've won 4 of 12, is that right? 4 of their last 12? Like it's been these these doldrums... The concern that we talked about, I think, on, on the last podcast we did, is still there. I mean, it's there's still some red flags. Uh, and I don't think it's just missing Gardner and Dermott. And they've had a bunch of players that have been sick. They've had some guys that are banged up. Um, there's there's some real adversity for this team going into the playoffs. And that's going to be, I think, one of the subtexts to, to playing Boston again is that last year they won a lot of games. And they won a lot of games they didn't play that great in going into the playoffs last year. It'll be interesting to see if going into the playoffs this year, the way they're playing now, hurts them or not. And and I think getting Tampa and Montreal, and Montreal's going to need to win that game on Saturday, I think that that's probably a good test for them. Okay, well, here's... I've been thinking a lot about this. And what I'm struggling with is how much does all this matter? Um, you look around the league at a lot of playoff teams, Winnipeg, San Jose, whoever, even Boston of late... Teams like go through funks. How much does it really matter, even if they've been playing poorly or up and down, I guess is a better way to put it, since December? When like the playoffs could start and they could be- beat Boston in six games. Like I struggle with how much it means that one night they look really good, then the next night they don't look so good, then they look good. Like they, they play really well in the island, then the next night at home, not shockingly, after emotional game, they look bad against Carolina. Like where are you at on that? Like, how much do you think this actually matters? Um, or do we not learn that until the playoffs? Well, the question is, is there something wrong fundamentally with this team that is creating this? Or did they have such a great start that came relatively easy and they've been kind of locked into this playoff position against Boston since like January and they don't have a lot to play for and it's just natural yeah. for a team to not really give a shit that much about these last like 30 games? Mm-hmm. Is there something wrong or should they or are they just don't give a shit because it doesn't matter and they're going to be able to flip a switch? I mean, they weren't able to last year. The first two games were a mess in Boston. They were terrible. But I'm reluctant to go and say that 
definitively there's something fundamentally wrong with this team that they're not going to be able to to flip a switch against Boston. Like I'm still expecting this to be a really good series. Mm-hmm. I'm still expecting the Leafs to show up. But I don't know. I mean, the the only the counter argument I'd make to you is that number one, most teams that have won the cup or had a good playoff run in recent years finished the year pretty strong. Mm-hmm. Most of them none of them had losing records the way the Leafs do right now. Um, I forget what number two was. <laughs> Actually, I checked that not that long ago. I think like from March 5th or some, or March 1st onward or something, Washington was like the fifth best team in the NHL or something like that. And I looked the year before, a couple of years, well, I guess the year before, and Pittsburgh was pretty good. But like we've seen, like you mentioned, like turning it on, we see like when they're dialed in, they look good. Like the game against the Islanders, they look yeah, good. They didn't they were, give up was, much. Yeah. Um, Frederick Anderson played really well. You, you, we've seen it like at spurts, like here and there. The game against Nashville, um, but I do think there is like something with that human nature thing with this team, especially a young team where it's just like it's really not hard, but like it's hard to get like fired up for a Tuesday night game against the Carolina Hurricanes. Like it just is. That's not an excuse. Like your job is to show up and perform, but sometimes you don't have legs. Sometimes you, there's just all kinds of different things. That sounds like an excuse. I feel like it's more of a reality. Um, the the problem I have with that is that it seems to happen with the Leafs too much. Like, but, it, I think, but wait a second, does it happen too much because we're in that bubble? Like, if you went to any other team, wouldn't there be stretches? Like, if, I'm sure you talked to the people in Winnipeg for the last month, and they're probably like, "What's wrong uh, with this team?" Like, so. But Winnipeg, like the underlying numbers are bad, and they haven't had Morrissey, and they haven't had Bufflin, and like like that, sure. they've legitimately have not been played well. I don't think that they've been necessarily up and down. I just think that. Like, I know a lot of the analytics people are really down on the Jets' chances this year, and they've really mm-hmm. fallen off in terms of they don't have as much depth as they did when they had Stastny there, and they're just they're not the same team. But to counter, like, you look at the Leafs' underlying numbers the last bit, they're good. Like, they're fine. Yeah. Well, you know what's interesting is that I was looking, because Carolina was through on Tuesday, and I was looking at records, and Carolina has the third best record in the NHL since uh, uh New Year's Eve, mm-hmm. and the Leafs have the 18th best record. But if you look at underlying numbers, if you look at like possession and stuff like that, the Leafs are pretty good over mm-hmm. the last 40 games. Yeah, and part of that is Matthews being healthy and Nylander getting back to closer to what he is supposed to be and getting Jake Muzzin and and I wonder if the Leafs front office looks at it and is like, you know what, we haven't been that bad. Yeah, I just you know what I see in the Leafs is I just like the give a shit level just seems really low with a lot of players, a lot of. Like it but just... then, like you think, I, I was thinking about that, and then you like you kind of go through it, and and is it like how many the guys I think of who are kind of up and down and and sometimes in and out are Neander sometimes sometimes Matthews like although like of late he looks he looks more like himself, but then like think about some of the other young players like Marner's usually going although his production is kind of slowed been off kind of all over the place. Kapanen's production's fallen off like a cliff. Um Janssen's been hit or miss. Uh, who else is like Dermot's been out. Gardner's been out. Anderson's not been good. That that hasn't helped. Um, Hainsey's Hainsey. Muzzin's been really good. Muzzin's Zaitsev's actually worked out pretty good. Um, the Goche thing, the Goche experiment probably should end. Yeah. That, that thing is not working anymore. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You're calling the Goat a thing? It's it's just not working. Like you look at even the numbers are bad. You just you, don't you, have a lot of options there, right? Like, well, especially you've waited till the, this far to. 
Yeah. Well, I, I, I find with Goat is that some games it's like, oh, he looks pretty good. And then it a lot of it depends on how his line mates play, I think, with him. I've been meaning to look actually at the numbers for this, but him and Brown does not seem to work well. No. I don't know why. Maybe he's better with like two like Ennis he's, and Moore. And... Well, that's what Babcock, he said that on the Western Canada trip that, that Gauthier is so much more effective when he has two, he has speed. They, they, they basically said that Gauthier needs speed on his wing, and it makes sense. I was watching the Carolina game. I was watching Kadri, Marlowe, Brown cycle the puck. Remember that? They had like a good shift. I think it was in the mm-hmm. third period, and they, but they're slow. Like, that's yes. not a fast line. And like, they were working really hard, and they were cycling well, and they were getting to the puck, but. They was easy to break the cycle on them, and it was easy to get the puck back because they just don't have a lot of foot speed. And Marlowe used to be known for his speed, and it's not it's not no. there at all to the same level. And Kadri's never been the greatest skater in the world, and Brown's not the greatest skater either. But so to go back to the the central question that we're asking, does this matter? I think it matters some. I mean, but it, let me ask you this: Let's say they were playing really well, and for the last month they've been like this juggernaut, and we be they could still show up in the playoffs and get swept. Like well, it, look. Look at Boston's record the last few months. Like it's been really, really good. So, and they've had to play through more adversity than the Leafs, and they've had more injuries, and you know they've had goaltending tougher schedule inconsistencies, and it. I'm really looking forward to the series. I think it's going to be great. I mean, I'm I I've complained about the playoff format because I don't think it's equitable. I don't think it's fair that Boston and Toronto have to the third best team in the NHL has to play the fifth best team in the NHL. Like that doesn't make any sense. And then, and then in the the next round, it's going to be even worse for whatever team advances to play Tampa. Um, but I think it's going to be, I think that's going to be the best series to watch in the first round. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that the ratings are going to be crazy and I think it's going to be memorable, but I, I know we said this wasn't going to be a playoff preview, but yeah, so I just stopped talking about, the well, I don't know what else we're going to talk about. I, mean, I wrote down some, who things. cares about any of this other stuff? Like, I guess that's like the central point of the podcast is like, what matters here? What doesn't? Well, the whole point of their whole season is this playoff series. Yeah. I think that, the, we, I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but like this team, the way people remember the 2018, 19 Leafs isn't going to be, Oh, John Tavares, his first year, he had 48 goals and whatever, whatever. The whole point is going to be what happens in the playoffs. And this yeah. team will be viewed as a disappointment if they lose in the first round. And it will be viewed as a success if they don't. That's the way the whole thing. Like, it doesn't make any... I, I just hit the mic. But th- that's the way that... Okay, well, let me, let, let's... Before we get to like our playoff preview next week, let's talk about some things that are kind of going on right now. Um, Garrett Sparks is kind of top of mind. He is not expected to play in the playoffs. If he is, that's not good for the Leafs. You wrote a story about him after the game against Carolina. If you haven't read that, go to theathletic.com. Check that out. And if you're not a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash leaf report and you can get a deal. Um, It's funny. Like, it was a perfect game to kind of look at Sparks, given that one of the goalies for Carolina is obviously Curtis McElhaney, who the Leafs put on waivers to keep Sparks. It would have been perfect if they would have started McElhaney in that game. Right, McElhaney, like, has, like, a shutout or something. That would have made your story perfect. Um... You mentioned in your story, if if Kyle Dubas could go back in time and and cha- do something different with that decision, do you think he still puts McElhaney on waivers? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Why? I agree with you, but why do you think so? Well, number one, Dubas has a long-standing relationship with Garrett Sparks. He believes in him as a goalie and as a person. He's more than ten years younger than Curtis McElhaney. Mm-hmm. 
I think what the Leafs were thinking is that one of these guys, Pickard or McElhinney, is going to get through waivers, maybe both, and we're going to have great goaltending depth, and we'll be able to, if Sparks struggles, we'll always be able to rely on one of these guys, or if someone gets hurt or whatever. And I think that was a smart plan. And I think what they had to look at is who's most likely to get through waivers. And I th- I, th- I think Sparks probably would have got claimed by a team that looks, you know, he's AHL goalie of the year, and he's 25 years old. And, I mean, someone claimed Pickard, so, like, I would think that someone would, would claim Sparks. Yeah who outplayed Pickard in, in the American Hockey League. And, you know, in writing the Spark story, you go back and you look at what he did all the way since he turned pro. It's all there. Like, all of the numbers there say this is a guy that can play in the NHL. And you look at the beginning of this season, his first five starts were pretty good, generally speaking. Like, the numbers were pretty good. Mm-hmm. And since then, I think, what's, I think his confidence has completely unraveled. You know, and I think that he's had a really hard time adjusting to playing only the second night of a back-to-back when your teammates are gassed and i think his confidence is shot right now and after the carolina game he was did you did you watch the press conference that he gave it was it was like two minutes long i used all the quotes in my story but like he was pretty down well i i saw him after the game in ottawa and he was the same sort of thing um he's like my season's not over like just like really like well he's a guy who's very emotional Mm mm-hmm well, and you can imagine, like, put yourself in his shoes. Let's say you start second night of a back-to-back. You don't play well. You lose. Your next start doesn't come for, like, three weeks. It's another back-to-back. And you it lose. again, yeah. You don't play well. Like, it would be hard to build any kind of confidence. Well, and I think, well, not only that, but, like, the, like there have been games where, you know, the, there have been games where, where the second night of the back-to-back, they come out, they play hard. Like the 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 uh, the Islanders game, not the one they just won, but the one before that, the Leafs actually played pretty well early in that game. And there was a lot of emotion there and whatever. And then, you know, a bad goal goes in. And then all of a sudden, the team kind of, I think, deflates a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how much confidence his teammates have in him right now. Would you? Like, I don't know that you could. Look there's at been, some of the goals that are going in. These are bad, bad goals. Yeah. I mean, and in fairness, Anderson's allowed a lot of bad goals. Yeah. I, I can't remember what broadcast it was. One of the broadcasts recently in the pregame show, I think it was Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday, they went through and they showed a whole bunch of Anderson goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, yeah, Colby Armstrong talked over top of it in the pregame show. Do you see that on Saturday? Mm-hmm. You were at the game, so you didn't see it. <laughs> but, so Colby Armstrong did a good, they had like a really good clip of all of the bad goals Anderson's allowed in like the last month. And it was pretty eye-opening because they looked terrible. Like, if you take all of his... You could probably do that with a lot of goalies. But with Anderson, you're not really used to seeing him. And, and the thing that Armstrong pointed out, and obviously he's a forward who played in the NHL who knows a little bit about this, he just said it looked like Anderson was second-guessing his reads a lot more than he normally is. And when Anderson's good, he just looks unflappable. And he just isn't moving around in the net a lot. And when they showed these replays, you could see him adjusting as the shooter's coming in. Do you know what I've noticed, like, along those lines? I've noticed a lot of point shots are going in. And, like, it looks yeah. like he has no idea where the puck is. Yeah. And, that's and he's, like, like, fighting to see it and, like, he can't find it. And That highlight pack, if people can find it, I don't know if, I don't know if uh, Sportsnet puts the uh, the pregame show from Saturday on there. But it was it was really good. It was really well done. And it was it was pretty eye-opening how many bad goals there were. It's the kind of thing that we probably should do when we're doing goalie analysis is, like, let's pull all the, the goals and... Talking about goalies and writing about goalies is very, very difficult because nobody wants to to ever pick on the goalie. I don't know. I don't. I don't well, know why that is. It's. I don't know about that. Everybody's like, you no, see but I Twitter guess I... with Sparks, and it's like, wow, it's hard to defend any of that stuff. I got asked on the radio on TSN 1050 yesterday uh, by Matt Cause. He said, "Who's the bigger, 
who's the more polarizing player on the Leafs this year? Is it Garrett Sparks or William Nylander? And I think he picked the right two ones. Like, And it's funny that it's not a defenseman on this team that's kind of the whipping boy. Like, I know Gardner got booed early in the year, but it's very clear that the two most polarizing players on this roster are Sparks and Nylander. And well, the- and part of that comes to people looking at Matt Laney and him having a really good year and being like, why did they do this? He's like a 9-11 save percentage or whatever. Like, he's been fine, but he had a really good year last year. Yeah. Well, and if you, if you if you know what Kyle Dubas is about, like it's on his screen, computer screen process, and like process means like you don't know the result, but you have to go, do everything you can in in what you're doing to try to make the right choice. So you can't really go back now and say the process was wrong because the process was right. Like you picked the 25 year old who's coming off an yeah. AHL goalie of the year, just won the Calder Cup. Like why would you take well, the career backup? And people like. A lot of people are writing off Garrett Sparks right now. A lot of people have given up on him. I'm getting stuff from fans. Like, in my piece, if you read the comments, it's like people are saying, like, you're being too nice to this guy and he's a bum and whatever. And it's like, like you're literally basing that on, like, his last 10 games. And, like, well, it's just and 10 not, games that were, like, separated by weeks and weeks it's, here. It's not enough. And I know what people are saying. Well, and I know his style's not pretty. And I know he looks... But there's a lot of goalies that, like, don't play, like, an Anderson style that can be capable backups in the NHL. Where my doubt level is on Sparks is like I don't. It's hard to see him being an NHL starter at this point. Like it's he's going to have to have a real transformation in the way he plays the game. I think to be a consistent starter in the league. To be fair, like I've been asking people that I bump into, like, are you still in on a Sparks? Like, when would you? When are you ready to kind of bail? Um, and like, for, what is it? Forty games you said, and like a chunk of those were during that. Oh, he's, he's only season. started 37 games. So that's not a lot of games. It's it's, it's hard. It's not enough. It's not enough. But where it becomes important is projecting forward to next year. I don't know that you can I don't know that you can go into next year and be like that's guy that guy can be our backup and like I think I'd be trying to bring Hutchinson back or you got to find someone else like that that's willing to like go between Marley's and Leafs and I think you got to it's a really dicey thing because, like, we are getting to the point now where starting Frederick Anderson 60 games it might even still be too much, which means you need the backup to play I even more, which means you need a better backup. Or Garrett Sparks has to be something. So what do you do? I I think you got your number three has got to be someone who yeah. it can come in and play if you need them to. I think like this. This was like a grace period year for Sparks to prove that he could be an NHL backup, and he hasn't really passed the test. Now, the only thing I will say with that, like, it's not like Sparks' numbers are way off where they need to be. No, he's at nine oh two on the season. Save percentage has come down around the league. There's a lot of good goalies below nine oh two this year. Yeah, there's a lot. Luongo, Reimer, uh, Schneider, Kincaid was was way down at the bottom. Tal- but those are not. Talbot. Those are not good goalies anymore. They were, and that—that's the, the other thing. Goalies are unpredictable. Like those, yeah. those could fluctuate back up. Well, and they could fluctuate for Sparks too. Yeah. Is what I, I mean. Yeah. Could Sparks come in next year and be like a nine oh seven backup who plays twenty games? And is that enough for a league minimum salary? Yeah. Right. Yeah. The tricky thing is like if you get into next year, he starts out poorly. How long do you give him like as a leash? And it, I guess if you give him six, seven, eight, nine, ten games. And if it doesn't work, then you just trade for someone else and you give up a fifth-round pick or whatever. Or you have Hutchinson come in. I mean, Hutchinson's got... Yeah, or you trade for somebody, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it could be a thing that... 
The other thing, too, is that Anderson has had not been very good in the playoffs. He's not been very good late in seasons. He's been... When Anderson looks good, he looks like one of the best goalies in the league. I mean, it really looked like he was going to be the Vesna runner-up up until what happened in March. Like, he was right there behind yeah. Vasilevsky. And now I don't know where he's going to end up. I think he finished fourth in Vesna voting last year. He's probably going to be about the same spot. Mm-hmm. But if you had a really, really good backup, like if you had, I don't know, like like look at what Washington had last year where they had Holtby and Grubauer. And when Holtby struggled, Grubauer could come in and... In an ideal world, that's what you got. You don't have a guy that you can only play the second game of a back-to-back, and that if your starter gets hurt in the playoffs, you're done. Well, you're, you're just setting yourself up for failure, aren't you? Well, it's it, it's it's not unlike having depth at every other position, right? Like, why why is it any different than having, like, a really good sixth defenseman who, if Gardner gets hurt, can jump up and play in your top four really well? Mm-hmm. It's not unlike having a good fourth-line center who can jump up and play in, on your third line. or You know what I mean? Like, it's... I think people write off the backup position too often. I think it can be a lot more important. Starters get hurt a lot. If you look at how many starters fail to play 50 games in an NHL season, it's really, really high. And I don't know. I mean, the Leafs are... If Sparks can only be what he's been the last 10 or 12 games, it's not good enough. Well, and you do have to insure yourself for the playoffs. Like, you look at the last two teams to win the Cup, both needed their backup to not only like step in but like play and start and play well so i don't know what you do i think you, you th- well, i think th- i think they will be patient with sparks i think that's that's in dubis's nature with this but it's it's something that they're gonna have to think about um I mean, the team's in win now mode right like right this- like this is not playing around like you can't you, do, you don't have like this long leash where you can just like no this this is their contending window it's open you gotta you know yeah. This is this is where you can keep everybody. There's no guarantee you're going to have all of your young stars and John Tavares at their peaks together beyond the next. I mean, this is they've talked a lot about Brandon Shanahan and Dubis like having multiple kicks at the can and having this group together for five to seven years or whatever it is. Like this, this is one of the years. So you don't. I think it's unfair to blame the fact that the Leafs are worse in terms of how many points they have than last year. I think it's unfair to blame it all on Sparks, but part of it is because of that. Well, you wrote about that. What are some of the other things that kind of came to mind? I read the story, but what kind of came to mind for you when you look at why this team is a little bit worse when they they really should be better? Like, that's the really shocking part. They've added John Tavares. Mitch Marner's better. Morgan Riley's going to be up for the Norris. Um Andreas Janssen's better. Kasperi Kapanen's better. Austin Matthews hasn't had like the the greatest year. He's better. Um, like why? What kind of comes to mind as to why they've kind of fallen off a little? So last year they had 105 points. They were tied for this. They were seventh. They were tied with for sixth in points with with Washington last year, the team that won the cup. This year they're going to finish. They got 99 right now. They're going to finish probably with 101. Let's say they win one of the last two games. So it's only four points that they've come back. And last year they were seven and two in shootouts. Uh, this year they're zero and one. Right, they've only been in one. Um, that's that's one big difference there. I mean, that could be the difference there. The fact that you look at the Leafs' record in one goal games last year and it was crazy good. And this year they just haven't played in a lot of one goal games. They've either won by a lot of goals or they've lost by a lot of goals, which is interesting. But have, have you seen the research in baseball that like winning one goal games is not yes. sustainable? And some teams win a whole bunch of them one year and then they fall way off. It's the same thing in hockey. It applies in hockey as well. 
So last year they were in a ton of one-goal games. They won a ton of those games. They were like 28-9 and nine or something. And this year they're like 15-11. and 11 or like They've just been in way fewer one-goal games this year. And it's random playing in a lot of one-goal games. It's random winning a lot of one-goal games. But the thing that struck me from looking at the numbers is that the Leafs are better at 5-on-5. Five five. They're a better even-strength team. And they're by quite a bit. And I think it's John Tavares is a huge part of that. Uh, the rise of Kapanen and Janssen is part of that. Even with uh, some of the injuries, even with William Nylander missing a third of the season and then not being effective for another 17 games or whatever when he came back, even with all of those things, even with Anderson's struggles uh, in March, they've been a better even-strength team. The power play's been quite a bit worse. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't been brutal. Like, they're still top 10. But it last year, they had a really, really good power play. Like, it was a weapon for them. This year, it's not the same kind of weapon. Like, it's been... It was really good the first six weeks, and then it's been average. And you lose that, and their penalty kill, same as last year, is just kind of okay. It's also average. You So you put all of those things together, and the goaltending, because of backup goaltending, McElhaney had a 934 save percentage last year. The goaltending's been a little bit worse than last year. Mm-hmm. You add all those things up, and that's why their record's taken a little bit of a step back. And yet, like, it still feels like... Not feels like it is. They're a better team than they were a year ago, which is why you you would think that they will have that expectations are higher in the playoffs that they should win around at least uh, and go deeper than that. I think expectations are higher because you get John Tavares. You're really deep down the middle. Your young guys to have another year and they take a step forward. Mm-hmm. I mean those two things. And then what else has really changed that much? The D is better too. I mean than they had last year. I mean you don't have Roma Polak. You don't have. Who am I forgetting? Uh, Connor Carrick, you don't have... You know, like, the the blue line should be better with Muzzin in there and once Gardner gets back. The question is, and I'm sure this is probably what we're going to talk about next, is how effective are Gardner and Dermott going to be with the games they've missed? I was looking at Dermott after the Carolina game, and he has this huge... Have you seen it? He's got this, like, big sling kind of wrap thing on... Because he had the separated shoulders, so he has this, like... It, it looks like it costs a fortune, but it's, like, this weird sling cloth tight-fitting thing he's wearing under his shoulder pads. I haven't seen that, huh? Well, I didn't even show you the schedule, and you were right. This is exactly what we're going to talk about next. Um, we can start with, with Thurman and Gardner just not kind of knowing what to expect, we think. And and by the time some people listen to this, you may know. Uh, Gardner is expected to play on Thursday night. They're I'm probably sure going to dress. Yeah, and they'll probably dress seven defensemen, and they'll kind of mix them in. It's a hard thing to know, like, A, what he's going to be like when he comes back, and B, like, if this is going to pop up again. And those are two, like, really big, huge things for them. I remember we talked about this on the last podcast, about how the Bruins are going to beat the shit out of them. And, like, yeah. that's the kind of team the Bruins, they're going to set, I mean, Corrales hurt, but they're going to, whoever, like, their fourth-line grinder guy is, they're going to tell him to, David Backus, they're going to get David Backus to go run Gardner and... But that was like that would probably not be that different from what they were trying to do before. The thing is, like Gardner makes just such a big difference. But what's happened now that's that's really interesting is is Muzzin looks like I think they probably thought when they got him. And you should like to be fair, we should always probably expect that there's going to be like a month where the guy looks a little weird because like his whole life is just like flipped upside down and like I Muzzin think he was, was like really disoriented. He's been in the LA organization a long time. And he was living in a hotel and he and his dogs in the hotel and he, he couldn't cook and like they his had, wife's he, eight months pregnant. And... Like there's just all kinds of shit going on. So like it makes sense. But now that like he's like looking interesting and like Muzzin Zaitsev is looking interesting. What do you make of their defense now that like Muzzin's playing well? 
you get Dermot back, you get Gardner back. Well, you know what's interesting is that if you're comfortable with what you've seen from Muzzin and Zaitsev together as a second pair, potentially, mm-hmm. Gardner's on your third pair, and he's with Dermot. And yeah, both those guys have been hurt, but I feel like even if you've got Gardner at like 80% of where he needs to be, yeah. he could do a lot of damage on a third pair. Well, that's that's interesting. And I wrestled with this in a story I wrote from Ottawa. There's an advantage to that um, because both guys are, are good offensively. You could put them in the offensive zone, um, generate offense that way. And yet what makes both those guys also extra special is they can help you get out of your own zone. Well, use Muzzin and Zaitsev in the offensive zone then. And but like- but that doesn't that – what's the point of that? Well, because then you've got Gardner and Dermot as your guys that are getting you out. I guess. Yeah, I guess. But, like, isn't the point of having Zaitsev to play defense? Isn't that, like that, isn't that why he's in the lineup? Like, Mike Babcock talks about it all the time. He's he's their best guy at separating man from puck. And he says they have numbers to support that. Like, isn't that the whole point of Zaitsev? Why are you... Couldn't you make an argument that it's better to have Gardner with Zaitsev so you get, like, at least one of your... I like calling them breakout artists, but like you, when you get one of those guys to help you break out, I would almost just play the D for the matchup more than anything. And I mean, it looks like they're going to use Riley and Hainsey against the Bruins top line, like for better or worse. Like we've advocated against that all year, but they've done it all year and that's just what they're going to do. So that's why we're, I know people are yelling at their radio or however they listen to this, but like, that's what's going to happen. So that's why we're talking about using the second and third pair. I would almost just go for the matchup. And, mm. and I mean, it really depends what level Gardner's at in terms of his fitness and his health. And, and he wasn't really on the ice at all for quite a while because of the back. He wasn't doing anything. And well, I guess, we, I guess we've seen the conditioning takes a while to get back. Yes. Especially when guys. you've missed like over a month and it's a back injury where some of it, you can't skate some of it, you can't do certain stuff. But I guess to your point, if you have a, a Gardner Dermott third pair, you don't you don't really care to some degree. Like you can put them out for D zone starts, and you're not really worried about who's going to come out for the opposition. You can put that like you can just you just have more flexibility in using all three pairs. Yeah. So maybe that's the advantage. And like I don't know that I would want to like mess things up with with Muzzin right now. Like it seems like he's found a fit. He worked with. It worked well with him and Dermot. It was like a really short sample size, but like, I kind of think you just kind of keep that as is and and see what yeah. you can get otherwise. And if it doesn't work, like if if something happens and like you're Look, getting on paper, that top six is pretty good. I mean, you're getting a lot of strength out of your second and third pair. That like you don't have Ojaganov there playing right. twelve minutes at even strength. You don't have, and then Dermot's trying to compensate for Ojaganov and or like Marinchin's played a lot of games recently and not looked very good and Justin Hall obviously after not playing all year and it's a big upgrade if your third pair is even a diminished in a Gardner and, and Dermot like I just that could be a strength for them in this series that yeah especially well, like, against Boston's depth lines I think that they could do some damage well especially like you you'd have all these guys who can move the puck like suddenly you've got Muzzin yeah. and you've got Dermot you've got Riley well, you've got Gardner and that's what Kyle Dubas wants like eventually he wants his blue line to be like mostly those guys mm-hmm which makes sense, especially against a team like Boston, who's going to like pound you on the forecheck. You want guys who help you get out. Um, so, anything else about the D you want to talk about? No. Okay, so we're going to come back, and I, th- I think on Monday, 
we're going to record like a playoff preview kind of thing, get into like the whole series with Boston, um, break everything down. Cool? Sounds good to me, man. As right. long as we don't end up in a crappy Airbnb again in Boston, I'm good. Do you, have, do you have a hotel book for Game 7? I do. I have hotels booked oh. all the way. Was it easy to find one for Game 7? How do you know what day it's going to be on? I guessed. Oh, okay. I just looked at last just year. Move it if I just looked at last year's schedule and and oh. figured out how many the days. The schedule maker doesn't look at last year's schedule when he makes. Yeah, it. but it's the it's the same days: Thursday, Saturday, right. Monday, Wednesday. Blah 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 right. blah blah. It'll probably be a game every second night, right? Yeah, probably. Oh no, they might have a bigger break for the set to keep the games on Saturdays. Maybe Wednesday, Saturday. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, so we'll be back again. If you haven't signed up for the Athletic, go to theathletic.com/slash/report. We're gonna have tons of stuff during the playoffs it's going to be madness uh and obviously jays are starting jays aren't very good but there's still interesting Vlad. stuff going on vladdy's going to play soon the raptors are going to be in the playoffs there's just tons of stuff happening uh anyway thanks for listening and we'll be back next week